0: Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, May 11th. Happy Travel Tuesday. Happy National Eat What You Want Day as well. So go stuff your face, folks. Enjoy whatever food you love the most. Make sure you have that. If you're listening to this later in the week, though, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts to receive an alert for when the podcast goes live. I will be stuffing my face with cookies uh, tonight for dessert and uh, dreaming about my favorite foodie destination, New Orleans. What is your favorite foodie destination out there in the world? Let me know, Podcast at travelpulse.com. And if you've been listening to the show before, I'd love for you to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show and coming up on the show today. As we always do, we'll talk what's trending in the travel industry, including big cruise news, updates on the international travel scene, and more. And now joining me on the show today is Amina Deerman, owner of Perspectives Travel, a New Orleans-based agency that is affiliated with SmartFlyer and Virtuoso. Amina plans highly personalized, immersive trips with a focus on exclusive access unique experiences, and exceptional customer service. Amina,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, it's a pleasure to have you on. So Amina and I will discuss the future of group travel, how the pandemic has changed things there, and what some places are around the world that uh, you could consider for group outings. But first, as we do for every show, in case it's your first time listening, let's dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the past week. We begin with news around travel to Europe. The United Kingdom set up a traffic light system for the resumption of foreign travel, It will take place on May 17th. They're easing lockdown restrictions over there in the UK, and they put this traffic system light up, and there's green, red, and amber. Um, You don't want to be in amber or red. You want to be in green, but there's only 12 of those countries out there. U.S. travel was in the amber, and they're not all that happy about it. Um, Countries in amber will need to obey tougher restrictions, which include pre-departure testing, a 10-day quarantine, and two to three PCR tests following their entry into the UK. The U.S. Travel Association President and CEO, Roger Dow, issued a statement in the reaction to this um, from the U.K. saying that the United Kingdom's decision to put the United States on their amber status for reopening just isn't backed by the science. Putting the U.S. on amber status ignores the scientific data regarding increasing vaccination rates, lower infection rates, and that the U.S. has the right strategies in place to mitigate risk. Perhaps in response to all of this, late Monday evening, uh, the U.S. does... Department of State changed the travel advisory to the UK, easing restrictions down to a level three, maybe trying to appeal to UK over there. Uh, elsewhere in Europe, you've got US airlines increasing flights to European countries, welcoming vaccinated Americans. Croatia, Iceland, Greece are among the top destinations, seeing an increase here. And we're a month away from France and Spain already, uh, planning to reopen in June. And I have a feeling in the coming weeks here, we'll learn more about other countries in Europe reopening up to a max vaccinated travelers. So All of that to say, Amina, what are your thoughts on the current travel situation in the UK and Europe? What are you hearing from uh, your clients out there and their interest in international travel right now?
1: So, I think we were all hoping that we were going to be on that green light list. And so, the news of the amber is a little disappointing. And just looking back at the last year and the shutdown that we've had and how big of an impact that is for the travel industry, but also for tourism in both countries, it's something that I think will be realized and hopefully remedied very soon, for clients, they're constantly asking where can they go if they're vaccinated. So I think seeing the flights and the increase in flights is very positive. Um, A lot of folks were hoping that with the UK, it would be a vax or test situation, but obviously now that's not the case. So I think we're going to see a pivot to those countries that are open like Greece and Croatia, just like we did for domestic travel and Caribbean travel when the pandemic first started. I have clients that are leaving for Greece in a week and a half. They were supposed to travel in 2020, it got canceled and they really are enthusiastic about the trip they know that things are going to be different they know that it may not be exactly as it would have been but they really just want to go and they're vaccinated and so now they feel like the time is right to kind of get there before any other changes happen and try to enjoy the trip as much as they can
0: definitely yeah you're going to see a lot of that with greece and iceland and croatia more so greece i think is more appealing to americans than uh, croatia and iceland uh, are but they're obviously that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with those destinations but i think greece is more appealing. that's the one i hear more about from when i talk to a lot of travel advisors out there so i think greece is seeing kind of a a push there and the uk could have seen a, a big push there because so many americans do love london and everything but you know now with the amber status maybe that'll change before the 17th or they'll issue something about june you know with you know france and spain planning to do June as well. Maybe they'll shift it around. I don't know. It just kind of seems from the initial push there, the the opening of that traffic light system, you thought U.S. would be worthy enough to be on the green situation or green light.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think if you look at the countries that are listed on the green list, Australia, Iceland, Israel, New Zealand, it's countries that I think when when The U.S. Tourism Board is comparing where we are and the progress that we've made in vaccines. We feel like we're in the same grouping as those other countries. So for us to be left off the list, it is disappointing.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of Europe, many travelers had flights to Europe in in 2020. You just mentioned clients of yours had to cancel in 2020. Uh, That's awesome that they got a trip coming up, but others don't have the trips. They just have flight credits. Airlines have extended some flight credits over the, over the last year, but it's not enough for some, as U.S. senators are now asking airlines to refund flight credits or adjust terms. The airlines have received billions in aid, but it's estimated that U.S. airlines are currently holding on to anywhere between 10 to $15 billion in outstanding and recently expired flight credits. So, Amina, do you think airlines should or may will be forced into refunding flight credits? I'm, I'm sure that has been quite the headache of refund pursuit uh, for you as a travel advisor.
1: This has been the bane of my existence as a travel (laughs) advisor because the expiration dates aren't lining up with the tour credit dates. And so it becomes, well, our flight credit is going to expire in March, but we really want to go in April and we have this tour credit until June. And so you can't line up all of these pieces. I do not believe that the airlines will refund. I think the extent will be maybe lessening um, the expiration rules or or making them non-existent. But I just think the question is, what are the long-term impacts if the airlines do refund this billion of dollars that they have now in outstanding credits? And so if they give back all of this money, what does that mean long-term for the industry? Does that bankrupt an airline? Does it then ultimately increase prices long-term? I just don't think that they are in the position really to give the money back, we're seeing already that those basic economy fares are starting to have the restrictions. They're already starting to dial back some of the things that we thought were going to be possibly permanent. So my feeling is that possibly extending the expirations or eliminating them, but absolutely no refunds on those flights.
0: I agree. Yeah, I don't think that they'll be refunding. They they love money um, as. <laughs> Do a lot of people out there, but um, yeah, I, I do hope that there's some sort of additional extension or, you know, make it no expiration date on that so that people can get out there and use them. But a refund possibility, it seems like it's long gone um, as far as we are into 2021 now and as many headaches that there came with refunds throughout the last year and throughout the pandemic. So it, it's a tough situation, but um, people just gotta, you know, hope for the best, should I say, in terms of Uh, being able to use those credits and that they don't expire.
1: Absolutely. I have clients that were supposed to fly on an airline where the customer service line isn't even open right now. So they're applying for vouchers online, but they can't get anyone on the phone. I can't get anyone on the phone. So when you have situations like that, where you have the credit and they want to use the credit, they want to fly in November, but they can't even go through the process of getting the credit. It just seems unfair. It doesn't seem like a very professional way to go about getting people either the credit or refund for them to be able to take those trips in the future.
0: Oh, I agree. Speaking of unfair, we segue into cruise news recently, and you could argue that the cruise industry has been unfairly treated. So I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. The big news surrounding the cruise industry right now is last week, the CDC issued guidance for cruise lines to operate test voyages. It's something, test voyages was the, you know, the, the term that we got really excited about once they made this conditional sale order way back in, you know, November of 2020. And we were wondering, oh, maybe they'll happen in February. Maybe they'll happen in March. And here we are in May and they still haven't happened. But now we've got guidance for them. or one step closer to the return of cruising. Uh, in a statement to the press, the CD said that the CDC is committed to working with the cruise industry and Seaport partners to resume cruising following the phased approach outlined in the conditional sailing order. This goal aligns with the prospective resumption of passenger operations in the United States by midsummer, expressed by many major cruise ship operations and travelers. However, the CDC also reiterated in its April 29th statement that the cruise ships can bypass these simulated voyages and move directly into the sailing uh, with passengers if 98% of its crew and 95% of its passengers are fully vaccinated. So that's where the cruise industry is at right now. It seems like they're some voyage test voyages could happen. Maybe they won't. I mean, you know, are, are you big into cruising at all? Would you go on a test voyage if they do happen? And what's just been your overall thoughts on the cruise industry and their treatment the last year?
1: I enjoy cruising. I was actually on a cruise in December of 2019. So that was the last time I cruised right before the pandemic kicked off. It was one of the last big vacations that I took. I'm actually cruising again in July, but out of St. Martin on a Windstar cruise. Um, and I waited to book that cruise until they came out with the announcement that they were gonna require all of the passengers to be vaccinated. So I, I kind of am going on a test voyage. Um, so to speak, just yeah. not one. Yeah, not, not what we thought they test. would be
0: way back, you know, several months ago.
1: <laughs> right, right, so I'm leaving July 3rd um, for that cruise. And I, you know, I, I think looking back at kind of the beginning of how this all started and the cruise ships kind of being patient zero for pandemic COVID travel. And you know now there are documentaries about people who were stuck on those cruise ships for a long period of time. And I think they really have gotten a bad rap and that they are doing things to improve. And you look at what's happening in other places, the cruises that are already happening in other parts of the world, they're able to do it successfully. And I've said for a long time, I believe that when this is all over, in quotation marks, and we're ready to travel, uh, cruises will be one of the safest, most stringent protocoled ways to travel because they do have that history of people feeling like I'm going to go on this cruise and something's going to happen. And so I think they really just need a big PR campaign. I think they need people like us who are going to get out there early on and show and prove what the experience is like. And I think that will help people feel more comfortable. A lot of people love to cruise and they're just waiting to get back out there. So I'm hopeful that the CDC will make things a little bit easier and that the cruise lines are really focused on those health and safety protocols to make sure that we don't have situations like we did during the early 2020s.
0: Definitely. Yeah. The the cruise industry has a chance to kind of push forward in a new, you know, a mindset into the travelers out there, especially people that have never cruised before. I, I do think that it will mm-hmm. be a very safe way to travel moving forward. They've got that stigma that's been placed on them and they've got a chance to rewrite that and say, hey, you know, we are a super safe way to travel. You know, forget what you knew in the past. You know, this is post-pandemic travel. We're completely different and they've got the opportunity to do that. Whether or not these test voyages actually happen, I don't know that they will. I would love to be on one if it does happen, but I think they're all pushing towards a vaccination. We've seen thousands of uh, crew members already get vaccinations. And we know, you know, tons of people are fully vaccinated in the United States right now. If they want to cruise, a lot of them um, are doing that. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, any others follow suit, you know, with more Caribbean sailings. You know, just last week, we had Norwegian Cruise Line CEO warn uh, that the company could move ships from Florida um, over the vaccine law that Florida is putting in place there with Um, with the restrictions from their governor, and or should I say, lack of restrictions from their governor over there. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens. If any others follow suit, there could be kind of a shift of cruise lines to sail out of the Caribbean more often in the future than they sail out of U.S. ports.
1: Absolutely. I have clients that are cruising in August on a Disney cruise out of Florida, and they are cautiously optimistic that it will actually happen we're planning for it to happen but now we're also just kind of in wait and see mode and looking at alternatives if it gets canceled
0: i hope that they will be able to get out there for you uh because uh, disney cruise line is a fantastic cruise line and august seems very reasonable to get out there to have u.s cruising happen from ports i really hope that it does happen in mid-july so that was what was going on in the world of cruising we segue over into some i do have to touch on some naughty passengers it's been a while since we've really discussed any of these and had any crazy incidents. Um, But apparently they just aren't being filmed yet. There there was a big fight like a week ago in in Miami, people fighting over seats outside the airport or outside the gate, should I say. Um, And the FAA issued out a statement and they said passenger behavior is actually off the charts. They have fined people up to $35,000 already and issued out lifetime bans. In fact, more than 4,000 passengers have been banned from airlines over the mask mandate which is just kind of mind-boggling to really think about over the past year. Um, but Amina, you've traveled recently as a vibe. but what's your experience been like with other passengers with all these new rules in place?
1: It was uneventful until my last trip. So I've been flying Uh-oh. a lot over the past year, and everything had been great until I was flying back from New Mexico and two passengers got into an altercation over the smallest thing, which was someone from a row further back, got up and was trying to exit the plane before the rows in front of them deplane and there was a gentleman that was just not going to let that go and so it turned into a shouting match between two passengers back and forth when we're already on the ground and we're all just (laughs) waiting to get off the plane so that's the first time that it's something like that that i've personally experienced it you know i think it's just very stressful right now for everyone the added element even flying vaccinated the added element of the mask and And people and not knowing what other passengers are going to do. It's making a very stressful situation for everyone. And I think that's just amplified when you lock people into a plane for hours on end.
0: True, true. Yeah, you can high stress situations. I I do feel, though, if you're if you know that you don't like the masks and wearing it very long, then you should just avoid plane travel right now. That's just kind of where we're at. Find a different Uh, route you know drive so that's unfortunate that you had some crazies you know after you landed i've seen some crazies at the gate agent you know like the gate lice if you will that that never went away um with with the pandemic i flew even last summer and there were still gate lice even though that there were you know maybe a third of people on the plane like it wasn't a very packed plane but there's still lots of people who love to just hover up front when you know the boarding process is totally different now but Uh, I digress. So that was what was trending in the world of travel this past week. If you have any additional thoughts, drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Now I want to dive into the theme of this week's show and what Amina specializes in. It's an area of group travel. So first question, Amina, what do you think the future of group travel holds and are there any new trends in the space uh, due to the pandemic here?
1: So I believe that the future of group travel is going to be really focused on who we choose to spend our time around and who we're inviting along on these trips with us. So less about we need X number of people to fill these cabins or we need X number of people to make this trip cost effective and more about who do I want to spend my precious vacation time and money with. And I see that in questions and conversations that I have with clients where they're kind of deciding on their guest list based on political affiliations and not wanting to have anyone there that's going to upset the group and making sure that everyone's kind of like-minded. And so I think that as we look at group trips in the future, it will be a lot of people who really have an affinity for doing the same types of things, appreciating culture in the same types of way, and, and really just taking the time to spend and reconnect with each other. I think in looking at trends that I've seen, Definitely an ask for more unique venues, um, interactive offerings. So things that involved a lot less time around a screen and a lot more time outdoors in doing activities together. And then the big emphasis on bringing bringing activities and experiences into wherever the group is staying. So if it's a villa or even if it's a hotel, finding ways that they can bring those experiences that they might, that they might have gone out and done in the destination into the accommodations that they're staying in. I've also seen interesting groups. So I had clients who were best friends, this group of four women, they all got pregnant during COVID. And so they wanted to take a group baby moon. Instead of going their separate ways, they decided to bring their partners along and make it just a fun celebration. Another client whose son, uh, his college graduation was virtual. And so instead of the family spending the money to go to the graduation and on hotels and all of that, they decided to do a really big multi-gen graduation trip. So I think we'll start to see more experiences celebrated, even though smaller experiences celebrate it. And we'll start to see things celebrated in a very different way amongst groups.
0: Interesting. Yeah, certainly a shift in the mindset of, of a lot of travelers out there and how they decide to plan their vacations and what type of vacations to do. So I think it might be, you know, an emphasis on smaller groups, too, especially in the, in the tour setting. So that'll be really interesting to see how that progresses, you know, especially as Europe and Asia open up as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: What are you seeing right now among what clients want for group travel, first on the leisure side and then on the corporate business side as well? Because I know you do both.
1: So on the leisure side, what I'm seeing, even groups that typically plan trips on their own or they had a a group leader who was confident in planning trips, they're reaching out to travel advisors now. They really want that expertise. They want some guidance on where they can go and what they can do. So I've worked with a lot of clients who said, you know, I used to plan this small group trip myself, but this year I just feel overwhelmed and I want to pass it on to someone else. I'm also seeing on the leisure side a lot of requests for private home rentals and villas. And so finding locations that can meet that that level of the 7 or 8 or 10 bedroom is really kind of dictating where the groups are going. So in years past, I would have a group that would come and say, I want to go to X destination. But now because so many people are looking for those private homes and villas, that's really kind of dictating where we can suggest for destinations for them. Something else, what I mentioned before is really having those experiences brought into them. So venturing out less into the city or the town and having that chef brought in or having the craft experience brought into them and making sure that the destinations are fairly easy to travel to and then fairly easy for entry. So obviously a huge shift more to domestic travel, especially with the test requirement that came out in January to re-enter the U.S., but definitely high on the list for leisure groups. What's going to be the easiest way for us to get there? What's going to be the easiest destination for us to get into? And how can we bring more experiences and activities to us versus us having to go out to them?
0: That's great that more people are using travel advisors. We've we've been preaching that here on the podcast for a while that, you know, if you are Uh, Regular travel out there, and you've never used one before. There's so many benefits to using that advisor. So I think we're going to see more of that too, of just people, both corporate and leisure side saying, "I need some, I need help on this. I need to make sure that someone's going to have my back too, in case there is anything that unexpected that pops up because we saw that so much last year. So and and the villa sides too, I think are really really trending up as well. So that's interesting. What you mentioned there too. So are are there any destinations that are more ideal for group travel this summer, both U.S. or internationally? Any, any particular ones trending up or trending down?
1: Mm-hmm. So I've been working uh, and, and kind of going back to your earlier question about corporate clients, but something that's been coming up a lot is looking for really unique destinations. So less about, again, the city or the town and more about we want a lodge or we're looking for a hunting camp or we're looking for a ranch or a farm. So when I think about ideal destinations, it really goes back to what's kind of the goal and the purpose of this trip. Is it to reconnect with your friends? Is it to get out of the city and be in nature? And so once I have that information, I'm able to kind of pinpoint a little bit better. But what I'm seeing in terms of US destinations, Arizona has been just gangbusters this year um, for groups. And I believe it's because there's a little bit of everything there. You have the proximity to lots of different areas. You have golf, you have spa, you have out tennis, anything outdoor, indoor you want to do. It's very easy to do. It's also pretty easy to get there. It's a short drive time from Phoenix to say Scottsdale or even Phoenix to Sedona. Another area, Napa Valley, Valley has been very, very popular for groups And again, I think it's that great combination of having outdoor activities, having space, but also having very high touch experiences, being able to go to great restaurants and have outdoor dining. Um, And that's a destination where the weather is going to play a big part in it. And so people are looking for those places that they can go where it's not going to be too hot to sit outside or too cold to sit outside. And I think Napa really checks a lot of boxes for groups. And I'm a little biased because I'm based in New Orleans, but I will say that New Orleans is also a very popular destination. And what I love about New Orleans and what I promote about it is that if you miss that trip to Spain, to Italy, um, to France, to Africa, to the Caribbean, you can get that feeling in New Orleans in a lot of different ways. So I believe that for a lot of groups that were supposed to take that great incentive trip or that great girls trip overseas, they can come here and get a taste of that culture right in the United States. For international destinations, I'm seeing what I'm sure a lot of other advisors are seeing, a high demand still for Mexico, a high demand for the Caribbean, specifically Turks and Caicos, um, and some of the Hawaiian islands are still very popular. But really, I think a lot of people have kind of done the shorter term kind of driving distance, vacations, near and now they're ready to get a little bit further away. So whereas earlier in the pandemic, I had groups that were looking for things that were close by, what can we drive to? Now folks are a little bit more ready to get on a plane and go a little bit further.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And those are all great destinations there. It's interesting. I'm obviously not surprised about Mexico that they've been kind of trending up uh, ever since you know, ever since the pandemic really happened and where can people go, go, you know, Mexico was one of the top spots there internationally. It's interesting you say Turks and Caicos because I haven't heard that a ton from others. I mean, I do know some people that have been recently, but it's nice to hear that they are trending up as well. And, you know, I've heard that so much about Arizona because I've had so many freelancers pitch me Arizona and then just other, you know, people I know traveling to Arizona. So that's, um, a really popular destination and I think will continue to be even more popular throughout the, this year because there's just so much to do. And like you mentioned, you can hit multiple cities in, in a spot. And then obviously New Orleans, I love New Orleans. I, as I said earlier on, the, on, the, on my open today of the show, uh, that's my favorite foodie destination. So I love to eat uh, my, my weight and all of the food there. Um, lots of good, delicious um, stuff in, in New Orleans. So I can't wait to get back out there sometime.
1: Yes, and the nice thing about New Orleans is that we have some new hotel properties opening. The Four Seasons is opening later this year, which has gotten a lot of fanfare around that. Um, And we've had some smaller boutique properties open, too, uh, coming up this summer. With Turks and Caicos, in regards to that, the villa uh, categories there and the options for villas are quite vast in Turks and Caicos. And I believe for groups that are looking for that private home rental, it really is an ideal destination. It's a pretty quick flight from a lot of the East Coast cities too. So for a lot of people who want a private home and they want to get away quickly, it's been a very popular destination.
0: Yeah, so the villas are big, especially among the group travelers. You know, having that privacy of your own little home there mm-hmm. is is nice. So um, today is National Eat What You Want Day, so speaking, you know, New Orleans is going to be on my mind the rest of the day now, and um. Gonna have to. I'll be dreaming about Café Du Monde and its beignets. So, I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm just send you a beignet mix.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, that would be lovely. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna have to. I'm. I'm gonna go look at pictures of my of my beignets. Um, experience after we do this podcast. Now I can't stop thinking about beignets. Now, so um, that's the beauty of travel. Is there's so much out there to experience, and whether you love food or whether you love the outdoors, there's so much to do around around the world and just here in the U.S. as well. So, when it comes to group travel, though, it is a market that you know a lot of advisors out there could. Jump into more and um, and see benefits from that. So do you have any advice for travel advisors to maximize their group travel sales?
1: Absolutely. I think once you have that group that you're working with, it's really imperative to find a good DMC or an on-site to partner with, especially if it's a destination that you're not as familiar with. There's just so many components in managing group travel between the accommodations, flights, experiences. you really want to make sure that you're honed in on, the pulse of that destination and knowing what's going on, especially given the restrictions and the protocols around COVID. So for the U.S., I think it's a little bit easier for for travel advisors to plan FITs. But when you're looking at international destinations, really finding someone who is based there that can be your eyes and ears on the ground, and especially when your group's physically there, for them to kind of be the point person. That's something that saved me a lot of times. I'd also say to make sure that you're working with the lead traveler and finding out very early on in the group who that person is because that's going to maximize your time and it's going to reduce just back and forth between multiple people in the group so really having the conversation early on and explaining the importance of having that one key person that's going to lead the group and making sure that you have the communication line open to them and that they can then disseminate that information to the rest of the group. My personal advice is charge a planning fee. Groups can become complicated and it's a lot of time. And so I think it's very imperative that you figure out if it's going to be a set rate or per person, Um, but definitely charging for the time and the effort that you spend in planning the trip. And then I would just say, make sure that you are looking for opportunities throughout your personal endeavor. So whether it's groups that you're already involved in, social clubs, even just promoting and talking about what you do in terms of group travel on social media. On my Instagram, I talk a lot about kind of the pitfalls of group travel and the things that always tend to fall to that one person who's in charge of everything. And how by working with the travel advisor, everyone gets to enjoy the trip and everyone gets to be in the moment and no one's figuring out the next thing that the group has to do. And that's a message that I kind of preach to different civic and social groups that I'm in. And so I like to make sure that in the organizations I'm already involved in outside of the industry, I'm reminding people that it can be a friend trip or a corporate trip or an executive retreat. It doesn't have to be a 100 room group. It can be a 10 room group, but there's going to be value that I'm able to provide that the client just can't get on their own. So you know, I think really just knowing what you're good at, making sure that you are connecting with that lead traveler and making sure that you have the reinforcements through an in-destination contact to make you really look like a rock star.
0: Excellent. All great insight there. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Amina. Um, let our listeners know how they can uh, follow you or reach out if they have any other additional questions or anything.
1: Yes, I am on Instagram and Facebook at Perspectives Travel. And my website is travel.com. There's a contact form on there. So if anyone has questions or wants to follow up, please reach out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Amina.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again to Amina for jumping on the show today and talking trending topics and all things group travel. I had a blast there. If you have any feedback or you have any thoughts about what was discussed today, I'd love to hear from you. Podcast at TravelPulse.com. You know the email. Drop me a line. And have a great week, folks. Thanks for listening.